today I was, I was telling myself, I want to make today a celebration for Jesus. I didn't share that with anybody else, but I think the Spirit is, is moving in that way. We had a great time of worship here this morning. So let's continue to celebrate Jesus this morning. Let's continue to give God the glory in everything that we have, everything we do. Let's not forget that. I know we all live busy lives. We all have a hundred things to do. We all have not enough time in our lives. But today, let's just stop what we're doing. Let's stop thinking about the things that are going outside of this building. But let's just focus on Jesus for this next, this next hour and, and give him all the glory. So today, we're going to continue our journey in John. We're going to be in John 4. And... John 4 is the woman at the well, right? Jesus meets the woman at the well. But there's a lot of stuff that goes into this chapter before we even get to this meeting, right? Sometimes all we think about is, oh, Jesus met this woman. Okay, he did that. But there's a lot of stuff that went into this trip. Why did he go there? Is there something special about the well or is there something special about the lady? Well, we'll get into that. So if you join with me in your Bibles or on the screen, John 4, we're going to be in chapter 1 through 26 this morning. So now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judah and departed again for Galilee. And he had had to pass, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus worried as he was from his journey. Jesus was weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to her, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did his son and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the, future, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will teach us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for just all you've done, Lord. We thank you for forgiving us of our sins, Lord. We thank you for allowing us to gather here this morning, Lord God. We pray that you open up our hearts, Lord. We pray you soften our hearts, open our minds, make us alert, Lord God. Allow our ears to hear, Lord, and just allow us to retain your word. Change us here this morning, Lord God. Allow us to get closer to you, Lord God. Make our hearts desire you above all else, Lord. And we just ask that uh, this morning you meet us here in this place. May the Spirit move mightily here, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have Jesus uh, and his, his disciples are traveling, right? First three parts of the scripture, you know, Jesus is traveling from Judah to Galilee, and it said that he had to pass through Samaria. Well, that wasn't the only way, right? Can you pull up the map? I've got a little map for you guys to hopefully you can kind of see that. Kind of show you there's two paths on there. The one on the right along the Jordan River Valley is the path that every Jew took. That was the easy way, right? It might have been a little longer, but it's along the river. The other path was through the mountains and through the terrain where there was no water. And plus, that's where the Samaritans live, right? Samaritans and Jews didn't have a good relationship. Jews hated the Samaritans. Samaritans hated the Jews. They just, they had different beliefs. Um, the Jews looked at the Samaritans as, as kind of half-breeds. Because, quick history lesson, right? Um, topped, the top 10 tribes, right, were conquered and they were intermixed with um, the Syrians or the Babylonians. And then they came back and left them and they called them half breeds. Um, the Jews were God's people, not, not the half breeds. And so, um, so they go to this place, right? They go to the place, and it's called Shechem. Um, and it's the burial place of Joseph. So there's a lot of scripture references that talk about this place. Even though it belongs to Samaria, it's a very biblical place, right? We look in the Old Testament, a lot of, a lot of things happen there. Um, and as you look, I wish I could have had more pictures, but there's two mountains that sit on both sides of Shechem. And one is the mountain of Ebal, 
and one is the mountain of Gerizim. And the mountain of Gerizim was the mountain of blessing. So there's foliage on this mountain. It's, it's the good mountain, so to say. And then on the other side, you have the mountain of Ebal. And that's the mountain that God cursed. It's the ground that God cursed. And even to this day, there's nothing on that mountain. Jews have spent years and years and years trying to water it, trying to plant stuff there, but there's still nothing there. God cursed it, and it's still cursed to this day. It's pretty crazy. Um, but one mountain represents blessing, which was um, Gerizim, and the other mountain was Ebal, which represented cursing. So Sychar, the town, was a small village near Shechem, about half a mile from Jacob's well. Jacob's well is at the bottom of Mount Gerizim. And then again, the, uh, so in 722 BC, the Assyrians conquered the 10 northern tribes of Israel and intermarried with them, um, then planted them back into the land. The two southern tribes then called them half-breeds. Um, when the Jews were coming back from Babylon, uh, to rebuild Jerusalem, the Samaritans were the ones trying to stop them. The Samaritans were the ones trying to stop any building of the Jews. The Samaritans also argue that Abraham offered Isaac on Mer Gerizim. Okay, so the Samaritans have some similar, similar beliefs, but they also have some Assyrian beliefs as well. Idolatry, stuff like that. Um, Abraham and Jacob both built altars on Mount Gerizim. So Mount Gerizim is a pretty uh, biblical, historical place. So why did Jesus stop, though? So what was Jesus doing beforehand, um, before he left? He and his disciples were baptizing, right? Not him so much baptizing, because it tells us that his disciples were doing the baptizing. So we have a bunch of followers of Jesus, right? We have his disciples. Everybody's getting baptized in the Jordan River, right? Things are going well. Things are good. Well, the Pharisees hear about this. And the Pharisees want no part of this. They don't want this to happen, right? Remember, the Pharisees were the ruling religious class, right? They had the religious power. And they don't want a bunch of people following Jesus, right? Because Jesus is opposite of what their religious authority taught, right? If, if all the Jews were to follow Jesus, well, then the Pharisees would lose all their money and all their power, and they don't want that to happen, right? They got to keep the power. They got to keep the money. So Jesus and his disciples are, are baptizing people, and the Pharisees don't like it. So Jesus knew. How did Jesus know? You know, Spirit talked to him. He just had a feeling. You know, he knew it was time to leave. At the same time, John the Baptist was baptizing people too. And he was causing some uh, irritation with the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees stopped him and threw him in jail because he was baptizing people. And so Jesus knew it wasn't his time yet, right? He knew he still had things to do before he was to go under the religious rule. So he him and his, his crew, they took off to Samaria, um, and they wanted to go up to Galilee. And if the map's still up, you can tell there's two ways to Galilee. Um, like I said, most of the Jews took the, the river valley. 
um, because they didn't want to deal with the Samaritans. They had to go through Samaria, and they just didn't want to do it. But Jesus knew he had to go to Samaria, okay? There was a special reason why he had to go. When the Lord knew, he left Judah. Jesus knew that because of his rising prominence and popularity, there would soon be a confrontation with the religious establishment. So he took off. Although the road through Samaria was the shortest route from uh, Jerusalem to Galilee, Jews also often avoided it. They did so because there was a deep distrust and dislike between many of the Jewish people and the Samaritans. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. The city of Sychar was in ancient Shechem and was the capital city of the Samaritans. It was there Abraham first came when he arrived to Cana from Babylon. This is where God first appeared to Abram in Canaan. Uh, this is where Abram built an altar. This is where Jacob became uh, safe when he returned with his wives and children. Um, so there's a lot of history here. So the Samaritans are really deep into their history. Samaritans have their own Bible, but it's only the first five books of our Bible. They, they threw the rest out. They kept the first five, and that's what they live by, and that's what they go by still to this day. Um, to this day, they still do sacrifices. So if you ever have the need or desire to see a sacrifice, go to Samaria. Go to Mount Gerizim, and you will, you will see them still to this day. So uh, why did he go there? Well, it says he was tired, okay? But also there was someone there that he needed to see, and that was the Samaritan woman. As we talked about a little bit, you know, the Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. So why is Jesus going to go talk to this woman, right? Rabbis of this day, at this time, they could not look at women outside of their wives or their children. So if they're out in public and they saw a woman, they would have to cover their eyes. Um, some of them would actually be bloody and bruised because they would close their eyes and walk into things. But that was the cultural relationship that men and women had at this time. So why is Jesus going against culture and, and going to meet this woman? Because he had something to say to her, right? Same reason he goes and finds us, right? Same reason that Jesus came and found me in a hospital is the same reason he came to the well and found this lady, right? He loves us all. It doesn't matter if we're black, white, brown, green, right? It doesn't matter what color we are, where we're from, where we live. Jesus loves us all, and he will come and find us. And it's up to us. Are we going to receive him, or are we going to turn our back to him? Eventually, he will find us. He will do it the easy way or the hard way. One of the things I used to tell the youth group all the time is we can do it the easy way, right? We could do it the hard way. Run to the Lord with your arms wide open is the easy way, right? The hard way is turning your back and looking the other direction. And life will beat you down and beat you down and beat you down until you end up in the hospital on your deathbed, right? And he gives you a choice. 
you know, die without me or live for me, right? And that's what happened in my case. Live for you, Lord, right? And so he had to go to Samaria to meet this lady. Was there anything special about this lady? No, not at all, right? She was a Samaritan woman. It's funny the contrast between John 3 and John 4. John 3, Jesus is witnessing to Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus is a Pharisee on the highest level, right? He's rich. He has power. um, He's a man. In chapter 4, Jesus goes and witnesses to a woman, not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman, right? A Samaritan woman that has been married a lot of times. So probably the most opposite of Nicodemus was probably this woman. And Jesus is just showing us how we are to emulate him in loving everyone, right? Love the pastor all the way down to the, the homeless guy on the corner, right? That's what Jesus did. Jesus made a special trip just to go see this lady. And he's done that for each and every one of you as well. Now, did you welcome him or you still got your back turned? Today, I hope to get that well within us flowing again like it should be, right? Get that well of living water. So the place where he stopped, right? He's at this well, Jacob's well. It's still there to this day. Um, It's about 100 feet deep. Uh, It still provides water for the people and the livestock. And so when Jesus gets there, let's, let's go back just a little bit. The reasons why he stopped. There was a physical reason, right? He was weary, it says. Um, I find that hard to believe, but at the same time, Jesus did have human limitations, right? So he could have been weary. There's a historical reason, right? It says in the scripture several times, it talks about Samaria, Samaria and Jesus loving them as we are supposed to love the outcasts as well. Historical reason. Sychar is in Genesis 33, 18 through 20. And the definition or the meaning of this word is falsehood. So if we take it from its original text and turn it into English, it's sheker, S-H-E-C-K-E-R. And that word means falsehood. Or sheker could be the city of liars. So that was the, that's what they were known for, city of liars. And also there's a different spelling where it has an A-R at the end. And that means liquor. So sheker was a city of liars and a city of drunkards. So is that a place where you think you would find Jesus? Well, that's where he went, right? He goes... He finds them where they're at. Um, I'm sure his disciples were like, man, we took a wrong turn. We should be by the water. We should be hanging out with our people. But instead, you take us to this horrible town. Nobody likes them. Full of, city full of drunks and liars. And there was one other reason why they went. It was a spiritual reason, right? The main reason. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. She was the reason. He was there by no accident, right? Does Jesus believe in coincidence? 
No, I think Pastor Jackie uses the phrase Godowins, right? There's no coincidence. It's a Godowins. Jesus knew she was going to be there. Jesus knew who she was, what she was about. Jesus loved her, and he knew it was time to share himself with her. And it wasn't just, it wasn't like Jesus was just hanging out waiting for the next person to come to share with, right? He knew he was waiting for this lady. This was the woman that he chose to speak to. And what do we know about this woman? Not much yet, right? But we'll find out that she has a iffy past, to say the least. Um, so Jesus was there for her to meet her where she was. And now the last part of that section of scripture talks about being the sixth hour. Now, a lot of people will say that's noon, but um, we'll probably get some emails or maybe some disagreements. To me, I believe it's 6 p.m. The reason I say that is because John always wrote in Roman times. And for Jesus to be tired at noon, I, to me, my Jesus doesn't get tired till at least 6. So, <laughs> so we're going with 6. Um, but when a lot of people say it's noon, I think it's six. Also, I think it's six because the disciples left to go into the town to get food. Well, the shops typically didn't open until about four or eight. Between four and eight is usually when the shops open. So if they're there at noon, I don't think shops are open and it doesn't line up. So I think it's six o'clock. Jesus is hanging out at the well and this lady shows up. Culturally, most of the ladies went to the well in the morning when it was cooler. And what do ladies like to do when they get together? Go ahead, Lisa, say it. I heard your mouth. They love to talk, right? So the ladies from the town would get together. They'd go to the well. They would talk. They'd have a good time. They're, they're doing their thing. And uh, they'd get their water, and then they'd leave. So why is this lady coming at 6? Well, because she has a iffy past, right? She has a history. The other ladies don't want her around, right? This lady's an outcast. Yet Jesus made his travel arrangements around this person because he loved her so much, right? Anybody have someone in their life that is an outcast? You kind of look down upon them, kind of wonder, what's that dude's problem? What's that person's problem? Maybe God puts you here to reach out to that one person, right? Maybe Jesus wants you to get out of your comfort zone and go talk to the lady at the well, right? That's what Jesus did. I mean, maybe Jesus didn't have a comfort zone, but at the same time, you know, he went out of his way, the long, hard way to meet the lowest of the low, to love on her and to teach her. And what did she do? She, she drew him in right? Even though he knew everything about her, all her bad, all her sin, all her shame, does that matter to Jesus? Not at all. He loves us anyway, right? If Jesus loves those outcasts in your life, shouldn't we love those outcasts as well? Yeah, it's hard. I'll be the first to tell you it's hard to talk to those people, but Jesus gives us an example of how to do it, right? Meet them where they're at, just say hello. Give them that living water. 
So we go to the conversation, uh, chapters, verses 7 through 26. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy water. Now it's in parentheses. It says, give me a drink. Now the way that Jesus said this raised ears to the woman. Because the way he said this put up a red flag that he was a Jew. I don't know how he said it or the dialect he used, but the woman knew that he was a Jew by the way he asked for a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Samaria? For they knew they weren't supposed to talk, right? Let alone Jew and Samaritan. It was even worse for a man to talk to a Samaritan woman, remember? And then Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. So the second thing that God says to her, right? First he said, Give me a drink. She says, well, you're a Jew. How am I supposed to give you a drink? Jewish people would not drink after Samaritans. They would not use the same cup. They would not use the same dish to eat. They thought being with a Samaritan was the same as eating a pig, which is a filthy animal to them. So they put Samaritans in the same category as as pigs. And so... Jesus is asking him for a drink. He has nothing to drink this water with. And the Samaritan woman is confused. You have no water. You have nothing to draw water. How am I supposed to give you a drink? Well, of course, Jesus isn't talking about the water in the well, right? He's talking about everlasting life. And this woman has no idea what's about to happen to her. And so the woman says to her, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Jacob who put the well there. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. There's also a little bit of confusion here as well, because this well is called the well of living water. And so when Jesus says living water, she is getting confused with the name of the well as, as well as living water from this well. But Jesus is talking about the living water of eternal life. Again, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks from the water will be thirsty again, right? But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. And that's the living water that we're talking about. That's the living water that we need, right? That's the living water that all of us strive to have, right? That well of bubbling water, right? And that's what the wells here did. They would bubble up continuously. And that's what Jesus wants in our lives. But sometimes we get debris on our well, right? Sometimes there's leaves and sticks and who knows what else that cuts off that flow in our lives. Jesus doesn't want that, right? No. 
all that debris and sin. He wants you to remove that and let that flow. I, I hope today, after, after today, that we leave here and our, and our fountains are, are flowing, right? The ever, everlasting life that goes through us is just flowing and flowing and flowing like this well. So Jesus says, if you drink normal water, you're going to be thirsty again, right? But if you drink of his water, you will not thirst again. Jesus is always there. Jesus always provides, right? The spirit is always there. Every time you lean on him, he is there to hold us. The water is always there. It's us that don't bring the cup at times. The water that I will give him will bring in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So she wanted the water, one, so she'd never be thirsty, and two, so she didn't have to go to the well again, right? If you're never thirsty, you never have to go to the well. But she's just looking at the material side of things, right? She's not looking at the spiritual at this point. So Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And this is where it gets interesting, right? The woman answers him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. You have five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So Jesus calls her out right there, right? I know everything about you, right? I see your dirtiness, just like he sees that in us. But the blood of Christ redeems us, right? She didn't have the blood of Christ on her, so he could see through her, right? Five husbands. Five husbands today might not be a big deal. <laughs> but back then, it was a huge deal, right? People didn't get divorced like they do today, right? And for her to get divorced five times um, is huge because she doesn't have the power to get a divorce, right? So the men would just throw her away, you know, one after another after another until finally she lives with a guy that's not even her husband. But that doesn't stop Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't judge her and say, well, you're not, you're not good enough to be a Christian, are you? No, he loves us all. He puts a blanket over all of us. And so what does she do? She doesn't go into the husbands. She doesn't go into her sins. She does like we do, right? We change the subject. We go a different direction, right? We try to escape our sins. We try to just throw them in the corner. She turns on her religious side, right? I don't know if you guys ever experienced this or not, but if somebody knows that you're a believer... They like to give you their resume of believing as well. Um, or their resume of, well, I read the Bible once, and, and I pray sometimes. And, and uh, so that's what she does here. She tries to change the subject. She tries to switch the attention off her and back onto religion. And so the woman says to her, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Now, can you just imagine seeing this, this, this woman talking to Jesus, knowing that Jesus is the Son of God, knowing all that he knows, knowing all uh, that he's done. I mean, his hands made that well, and yet he's there talking to this woman. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. Who is called Christ? When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So there's three things that happens, right? There's Jesus' approach. He's there. He says, give me a drink. And she says, well, I know you're a Jew. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jews would not drink out of the same cup or eat out of the same dish. And then there is the answer, right? The answer of Jesus about living water. And when it came to the answer... He was challenged, right, about what she understood Samaritans called water, right? She understood the water coming from that well as living water already, right? Not because Jesus, but because of the name of the well. And then she confesses, right? She confesses, okay, yeah, I have many husbands. I had many husbands, um, but I do believe in the Samaritan rituals and the Samaritan's religion, right? She gave a quick breakdown. We worship on Mount Gerizim. You worship in Jerusalem. And then Jesus gave her the facts about the water, right? You shall never thirst. You will become a fountain bringing everlasting love, everlasting life. And so as this conversation is going on um, I believe Jesus is bringing her in closer and closer loving on her telling her you know I know your past I know you've had troubles the same way he tells that to us right he knows our past he knows we have troubles and once we accept him once we take that water are we all clear is everything going to be okay No, but at the end of the day, we know we have Jesus, and we know everything's going to be all right. And then at the end, it says, I am he, and he claims to be the Messiah. Does she run around crazy, calling him weird or or strange? No, she knows from the contact, she knows from the information that his claim is true. And what does she do with that claim? She runs into town and tells everybody. And we'll talk about that next week. Um, but before that, I want to give you guys a little bit of homework. I want you guys to not only hear about the woman at the well, but I want you guys to apply some of the things that Jesus did here. He went out of his way to reach out to the lowest of the lows. And I know we all have people in our lives that we um, maybe stay away from, maybe don't talk to. As much as we should. I know we all have 
unbelievers in our lives also that need Jesus. And so I just want to challenge you guys to find that person. Find that person in your life that you haven't talked to, that's a non-believer, that needs Jesus, right? I know we all know somebody. If you don't have somebody, come to me. I will give you somebody, okay? <laughs> There's plenty of them out there. Um, but I want to challenge you. Put words into action this week, okay? Talk to these people. And if there's a situation where you can't talk to this person, pray about them for this week. This week, pray about them every day. Pray that the Lord will make a way for you to talk to this person where you can share Jesus with them. And maybe you can't, but maybe somebody else will. But we all know, we all have people in our lives that we love that need to know Jesus. So this week, go out, meet them at the well, meet them where they are, and... Share with them. Because we love them, right? If you can't share with them, like I said, start praying for them. Let us pray for them as well. You know, if there's somebody who's really been on your heart and you've been praying for them, but they just, you just can't find a way, let us know. Let us put them on the prayer chain. Let us come together as the body of Christ and pray for this person and watch God make a way. Let Jesus do a work in these people, right? Let it happen. Watch it happen. For it is not us that saves, but it's Jesus that saves, right? We may say, oh, well, this is hard. Well, yeah, if we do the work, but if you allow Jesus to do the work in you, things will happen. And the last point is what do you have to lose, right? If this person's future is damnation, well, why not try to change that, right? Why not be the person that puts a rock in their shoe and just disrupts their normal thinking to say, hey, Jesus might be what I really need. We know Jesus is what you need, right? Better yet, what do they have to gain, right? Just think of the change in that person's life that you can make if you take just that few minutes out of one of your days and say, you know what? God has put you on my heart for a long time. You're a great person. You have a loving heart, but you just don't know Jesus. Can I share Jesus with you? What's stopping you from knowing Jesus? Why don't you want to be happier? Why don't you want to be joyful? Right? Because we know that the fields are ready, right? The fields are ripe for harvest, and uh, we are his workers. So thank you. Let's go ahead and, and, and pray. And then uh, we'll go from there. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for your love. Lord, we thank you that you will travel anywhere to find us. Lord, you are everywhere. You love us. You want us, Lord God. And I just pray, Lord, that you just burn that into our minds. Lord, that we never forget that you love us, no matter what our past was, no matter the, the things we've done, no matter our sins, Lord, you forgive. Your death on the cross and blood that you shed covers us, Lord God. You shed every drop of your blood. There was nothing left. And you did that for us, Lord God. And I just pray, Lord, that you give us boldness this week. Give us boldness to step out and, 
and talk, reach out to somebody we normally wouldn't. Give us the boldness and the words to speak to a loved one that doesn't know you yet, Lord God. Lord, we just pray you use us for your will, Lord. We just don't want to be people that that come and sit down on Sunday and hear your word and, and forget about you until next Sunday, Lord. We want to be your children. We want to be your hands and your feet, Lord God. And I do just lift up all those people, Lord, that you've put in our hearts, all those people that are in the minds of of us right now, Lord God. I do pray that this week will will bring fruit. Lord, allow us to speak to your children. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.